beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, notice that the, the hymn that we just sang, and it's amazing how we sing it, and we sing it with, with gusto. We, we sing it as it's a reality in our lives, that it's, it's a truism in our lives, and, and oftentimes that's just simply not the case. Notice the words and the realism that goes on in this hymn. Stanza three, let sorrow do its work. How many of you want sorrow in your life? No, nobody wants sorrow. When we become sorrowful, so often we become angry or apathetic. And it's towards the Lord. That we're not getting what we think is due us. That the Lord is not making me happy. I don't want to be sorrowful. The hymn writer goes on and he says, Send grief and pain. Do you want grief and pain in your life? Well, you sang it. And yet we don't have a right understanding of grief and pain in the life, do we? I think that's why we hesitate. Maybe we recoil a bit when we read those words. Send grief and pain. And then the hymn writer goes on and he says, Sweet are thy messengers. The messengers are grief and pain and sweet their refrain. So the Lord has a sweetness in the pain and the grief and the sorrows that we go through in life. And we often miss it because we really don't take stock of the fact that we are not our own, but we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And through the grief and pain, it's part of the process that the Lord sanctifies us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. He is the potter, we are the clay, and He's doing His work and it's painful. And yet without it, there is no conformity to the image of Christ. So when James says, count it all joy when various trials come upon you, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance in your life. That's Christ's likeness. Also we find tribulation producing character in Romans 5. It's not during the pleasant days, it's during difficult days where we find the Lord doing that work of molding and shaping us. You find that here in Jonah's life. Jonah going about his business, enjoying his life, until the Lord calls him to do a particular uh, service. To be a prophet to the Ninevites. To go and take the word of God to that city that is so corrupt and there's so many people there, and they are perishing under the weight of their corruption, and judgment is pending, and the Lord in mercy says, go take the good news of repentance to them. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. You know, that's oftentimes that happens to us as believers, is that we hear what the Lord says, but we don't like it. So we go about doing our own thing in rebellion, and the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. You know, when you know what the Lord has called you to, it's a dangerous thing to give up on that. To run away from God's calling upon your life. I've thought about that before um, in, in my life as a minister of the gospel. There have been times, yes, that I say, let me go do something else. 
And then this comes to mind, do I want to be a Jonah? Is this going to work out well for me if I get on my horse and ride? And we can see the example that is given here of Jonah. Those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. He will bring you, and He will bring me, to repentance. It is a guarantee. If you are not brought to repentance, then you're illegitimate. And you're not a child of God. Let's be straight about that. Let me say it in this way. Your church membership is not your badge of salvation. Because you have been baptized and you are a member of this church does not mean that you're in the kingdom of heaven. If you are in the kingdom of heaven, you are there by the grace of God in Christ Jesus who has regenerated your soul and translated you from death and darkness into life and light and liberty and love in Jesus Christ, period. It's not of you. It is of Him. And if you are without chastening, you are illegitimate and you are not a son, a child of God. There is so much misunderstanding about that in our day and age to think that because you're a member of the church, you're in the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible says that nowhere. Now it's a good thing, it's a biblical thing to be a member of a congregation, to be under the oversight of the elders of the congregation. That is a biblical thing. But to think that you are born of the Spirit of God because you are in a congregation is nowhere found in the teaching of God's Word. And I think many are damned through the church in our day just because of that reason that people will say, you're in because you remember. Now, it's, it's going to be proved out in God's disciplining hand. If you can continue headlong in an unbroken lifestyle pattern of sin and rebellion against God, you are not a child of God. God brings His people to repentance. The mind is changed. The actions change. Following the inside of the cup and dish being cleansed, the outside becomes clean as well. If you can continue in absolute outright rebellion of the things of God day after day after day after day and you have no desire to turn and repent of that, then the Spirit of God does not dwell in you. It is that simple. That's not popular to say that I'm not here for a popularity contest. Those that are for popularity contests will tell you what you want to hear. I'm not called to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to say what God says in His Word. Jonah discovered this. That God loved him. And God pursued him. And God changed the way that Jonah thought about his ministry and his calling as a prophet to Nineveh. Jonah is like the prodigal son. He wants to go to a far country. But the Spirit of God will continue to draw you back to the Lord. And that's exactly what happened with the prodigal son. When he came to himself, he came back to his father. When he came to himself, who caused him to come to himself? Who caused him to wake up? Who woke him up out of the slumber and the sleep? It was the Lord. And he returned. 
And he comes to the Lord in prayer. You know how essential prayer is in the life of the believer? I will go so far as to say this, that if you are not a praying person, you're not a believer. You are not born of the Spirit of God if you are not a person of prayer. I didn't say how much to pray. I didn't say when to pray. I didn't say what posture it is of prayer. I simply said, if you are not a person of prayer to the true and living God, you are not born of the Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit breathes that desire in the life of a Christian. We have a desire to pray. We have a desire for the Word. As newborn babes, we desire the pure milk of the Word that we might grow up thereby. There is a desire, beloved, that the Lord instills into His people, into those whom He causes to be born of the Spirit of God. Prayer. We are to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5. We often forfeit peace in our soul because we do not take these things to the Lord in prayer. Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7. We are to come to the Lord with prayers and petitions, with thanksgiving, making our requests known unto God. Paul petitions the church to pray for him. We are a people of prayer. We are to be a people that prays. Paul gave the example in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 of not only praying for the church, but the content of our prayer. How we are to address the Lord in prayer. Uh, the Psalms speak the prayers throughout. Some specifically the Psalms, Psalm 88, Psalm 86, specific prayers to God. But then you find prayers mingled in with each of the Psalms as they're addressing the Lord. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, casting all of your cares, not some, not most, but all your cares, casting them upon the Lord. Why? He cares for you. God cares for His people. Prayer is an essential part of the Christian life. Four staples mentioned in the book of Acts. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. We are to be a people of prayer. Prayer is by means we come to the Lord with confidence that He hears us. We also, through prayer, recognize our dependence That we have confidence coming to God, but we are dependent upon Him. Prayer demonstrates that. Prayer manifests that. Are you not needy? Man, I think more now in my Christian life than ever. I am more needy today than I was 10 years ago. Now that's not true. I'm not more needy now than I was then. But it was an illusion where I think I'm more needy now. I I was needy then. You understand what I'm saying. As a younger Christian, you don't think that you have the needs that you do until you get older, then you realize, wow, how stupid was I? Well, real stupid. And it's a constant thing in my life. I see stupidity every day in my life. And so, coming to the Lord. Coming to the Lord in prayer. Not only coming in asking the Lord to be honored and glorified in my life. Not only coming to ask the Lord to forgive me for my sin. But coming and asking the Lord to keep me from sinning against Him. Do you ever pray that way? Lord, keep me from sinning against you. You know, it's, a, it's amazing when you read things and how the Holy Spirit works at 
those particular times. Somebody had said to me one time that when they read, they, they don't remember the things that they read. Look, it's okay. It's not about you retaining everything that you read. With sermons, Bible reading, the Holy Spirit is doing His work at the time that the Word is being ministered to you. At that time, He is more and more conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. At that time, beloved, right now, whether you remember all of the sermon or I don't even remember this sermon. God is doing His work. And as I like to say to people, do you know what you ate for lunch uh, three weeks ago on Monday? Now, unless you're on a regiment, you know, the, the go low or whatever that is diet, and you're eating the same thing every day, you have no idea. Did it nourish you? Obviously. But you don't remember it. So, we come as people that are dependent upon the Lord. We come with our confidence that the Lord hears. We are needy people, and God does hear our prayer. So, uh, beginning in verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now I want to tell you right from the get-go, don't get bogged down with the fish. You get so bogged down with the fish, and what's going on with the fish, you miss what's going on with Jonah. The fish begins to eclipse the whole theme of what's going on for the glory of God. And what you find, even in Christ, through the, the great fish and Jonah's life. Because we're all concerned with, well, is it possible that a, a whale, people will say, could swallow a man? Well, I don't think it's possible because it has a throat that's not big enough to swallow. I, I mean, seriously? You're going to go there with the Almighty? Do you not think that God can create a fish to swallow Jonah? Let me ask you wise ones out there. How tall was Jonah? And how much did he weigh? You have no idea. Could God create a fish to engulf Jonah? I mean, to ask that is to answer that. It's a foolish question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord will do all of His good purpose and pleasure. If He can make Balaam's ass talk, He can certainly create a fish to swallow Jonah. And in fact, He did. The Lord prepared this fish especially for the prophet. Jonah is the man that was thrown overboard. So God prepares, the fish swallows up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, where do we read of the three days and three nights? We read of that as what the Lord said in Matthew 12 to the Pharisees, the sign, you know, you're always asking for a sign, and no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So let's stop there for a moment and just say this. If you don't believe the account of Jonah, then you can't believe Christ, who then taught of Jonah, the whole example being that which foreshadowed his resurrection. 
Jesus believed in Jonah. Jesus created Jonah. You remember, he is God come in the flesh, who is the Logos, the Word of God, who created all things in the beginning with the Word of His power. So, Jonah swallowed up and the Lord is going to take him exactly where he wants him to go. Then Jonah prayed. Uh, let me ask you this. When you're going through troubles, problems, difficulties, it seems I have more in my life today, now, than at any other time in my Christian life. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just saying, I recognize them much more now. But when the problems come upon you, where do you go? Who do you turn to? Now, if you're honest, and the Scripture is real, isn't it? Reality is in that which is in accordance with truth. Scripture is real. It's a realism. It paints warts and all. We don't. We like to mask all that. We put on the big facade because we're, we're too concerned about reputation. We're not as concerned about character. But God is concerned about our character. You know, be concerned about your character. Let the Lord deal with the reputation. Where do you go when you're going through the trouble? You notice the example that's given here of Jonah. Jonah prayed. Jonah is in affliction, he is in straits, he is in great difficulty, and he prayed. Who does he pray to? He prays to the Lord. He doesn't go to anybody else, there's nobody else to go to. It's a good example. Who can help you in your problems? Who can help you with the spiritual difficulties that you're going through? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Not to all your friends. There is a time for that, but not right away. First and foremost, we go to the Lord. This is what Jonah does. He goes to the Lord and he prays to God from the fish's belly. Can you imagine that scenario, what it must have been like in the belly of a great fish? To be swallowed. There are historical accounts of men who have been swallowed uh, by fish. I heard one time of an account of a man that was on an, an, an airline, on an airplane, and he was, was up by the hub of the wheel. And he was in there for like a 2,000 mile flight. And when he, when, when he landed on the other side, wherever they were going, his body temperature was like 74 degrees. He was still alive, but, you know, he, uh, they had to rush him in and get him heated back up, raising his body temperature. There is no other account of a body temperature, the doctor said, of that dropping that, dramast that drastically low and somebody surviving. But he survived. I'm thinking about Jonah in the, the belly of this great fish. And this fish, did it have stomach acid? Was it, you see, you understand, right? It's a fish prepared by God. It's a fish accommodating for the prophet, as it were. Now, it was no luxury townhouse. But he was able to survive in there for three days and three nights. And as he is in the belly of the fish, you'll notice he talks about seaweed and things wrapping around him. So he's going through the turmoil, even in the belly of the fish. And he's praying and he's crying out to God. Now, the first thing that we recognize is he comes to the Lord. He is humbled by this situation. Affliction does that, doesn't it? 
In affliction, God speaks to us in a bullhorn. A loud voice comes to us through affliction. And Jonah recognized that. And he cried out to the Lord. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, look at the content of Jonah's prayer. Beloved, when you read the prayers that are in Scripture, take notice of what they're praying. As I said, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul has much content in his prayer for the Ephesians to God. You then take that and inculcate that into your prayers. Adapt the same thing into your prayer. Jonah cried out. Notice the cry. The force of the Hebrew text there is a loud cry. He was probably a man broken at this point who wasn't just raising his voice, but he was crying. He was scared. He was terrified. One time as a kid, I was my parents' home. I woke up and I had no idea where I was. Everything was pitch dark. And I was standing up when I woke up. Can you imagine that? I was terrified. And I began feeling around in the walls to see if anything felt familiar. And as I kept moving around, I, I realized that there was paneling on the wall that I must have been in the basement. And I just kept moving around the wall until I got to the switch. And there I was. I was terrified. I walked down the stairs to the basement, shut the door, all the lights were off, and I stood in the corner. That was like one of those zombie apocalypse movies. And I was terrified when I, when I woke. I, I, Jonah, here he is in the belly of a fish. Does he know where he's at? Can you imagine? He's tossed overboard. He thinks he's going to die. And the next thing you know, he's still alive. He's still breathing. Where am I? And he's sloshing around. Do you think his first thought was, well, I'm in the belly of a fish. He has no idea what's going on. And do you think when he's in the belly of the fish that everything is calm and peaceful when he's enjoying a meal down there? It talks about waves and breakers. You know what that is? Things that were slamming him against probably the internal organs of the whale. In the belly and you know, smashing against things. And it was coming upon him. And he cries out. And he cried in his affliction. Have you ever cried in affliction? I've cried in affliction. Now let's be real. Because it's not macho to say, well, I don't ever cry. Only girls cry. Well, if you've ever said that, you're a fool. Because Jesus wept. And he is the man of all men. And men cry. Men get hurt. Men have pain. We have this whole facade in a culture that thinks if you're really a man, you don't cry. No, men, men cry. Jonah cried, and he cried out to the Lord in his affliction. He was in pain. He not only had some physical problems that were going on, but he had spiritual torment too. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him 
out of them all. Psalm 34. He cries out because of affliction. And notice what he says that he answered me. Verse 2. God answered him. Now, the, the, the Hebrew word there about God answering him, it, the, the King James says it in this way, God heard me. It, it has reference to God answering his prayer. In other words, jo, uh, Jonah's cry that God would help him in his affliction, God helped him in his affliction. That's what it means, that God stooped down. God heard, God answered Jonah's prayer. God answers prayer. Don't ever think, beloved, that God doesn't answer our prayer. God loves the prayers of his people. He loves the prayers of his saints. He loves the prayers of his church. And the church is to be a praying people that brings that sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Uh, that is an offering, as it were, an offering of ourselves inwardly, uh, the very depths of our being. We're offering that to the Lord. Bring that to God. That's what you find here with Jonah. God hears and answers the prayers of his people. Jonah is crying out from the belly of Sheol. From all intents and purposes, from the land of the dead. That's what it means. Jonah is saying, I am a dead man. He doesn't know, beloved, as we read this account. Three days and three nights, he is in the belly of the great fish. And then the Lord spewed him up on the land. Jonah has no idea of this. He doesn't have this account to say, okay, in three days, that's all I've got to endure and I'll be done. He doesn't know. He has no idea what he's dealing with and what he's going through. Only that it must be painful. Must be gastric juices that are there. What was the temperature there within the belly of a great fish because of the digestive juices that were going on inside of there? Because of the water, because of the internal. What is the temperature internally of a great fish like that? I have no idea. But obviously, Jonah was in a position of, that he was tormented with this. He was afraid. And he cried out. He thought he was going to die. And you heard my voice. He says it again. God heard. God stooped down. God answered. God delivered. God rescued me. Have we lost confidence in our sovereign God? Have we lost confidence in the wondrous word of God? Has the word, has prayer, the Christian life, these two particular staples in our lives, have they been eclipsed by something else? Do we really need more than what God has given to us? Do I need programs? Because if I don't have programs, it ain't going to happen. But yet, the Lord hasn't given us programs. Now, hear me before you run out of here and say that I'm all against programs. I'm saying that if you're replacing God's word and prayer with programs, you're a fool. Because God saves and he saves by the ministry of his word. And then the secondary means of grace, we come to the Lord in prayer. It's a praying church. 
prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We have many requests. We make them known to our God. God hears. And Jonah says, notice verse 3, for you. Who? For you. Who's the you? Who's Jonah speaking to and about? The Lord. But I thought the, the sailors cast him into the sea. Uh, Jonah says, you did, Lord. You see, ultimately, God is the ultimate mover of all things. He is the ultimate cause of all things. The secondary causes are all the other things in this world. God is the one who has ordained all things. Did God sin? No, God cannot sin. It's blasphemous to say that God could sin. God cannot sin. But did he, did he ordain sin? Obviously. Because it could not come to pass if God had not ordained it. But he didn't do it. Men and devils do that. So ultimately, what is Jonah saying? It wasn't the sailors. God had ordained all this. You, O oh Lord, cast me into the sea. This was part of the discipline of Jonah to bring him to repentance, cast him over, and he used the secondary means of the sailors and the sea and the great fish to cast him over, to swallow him up, to teach the prophet that he's not his own. He belongs to the faithful Savior. Beloved, that's our problem. My sin causes me to want what I want, when I want, how I want, and where I want. And if I don't get that, I'm angry with the Lord. And you know what I'm talking about because you do the same thing. Jonah is confessing with clarity particular things that God has done specifically in his life and Jonah's own guilt. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. Now remember, he's in the belly of the fish as he's crying this out. The floods have surrounded me, and your billows and your waves have passed over me. I mean, this is very similar to Psalm 40 that we read this morning. The billows and the waves. This is what is spoken of of Christ as well as he is on the cross. The billows and the waves, the things crashing against him as well. Jonah is experiencing this. In the belly of the fish, God's discipline as it were. God's bringing him to repentance. He is all confused. Thinking about on a ride, he's up and down and he's all over the place while he's in the belly of this fish. How could he breathe in there? What kind of a breath would he get? Would he get a breath and underwater he went? It seems to be so, doesn't it? That he's crying out in desperation. They've surrounded me all about. Do you know what it means to be surrounded? Jesus speaks about that the dogs and the lions have surrounded me. As he had been upon the cross. You know, Jonah was heard of the Lord. Do you know why Jonah was heard in the belly of Sheol? The place, as he says, of the dead. Do you know why he was heard? Because that day on the cross, under the cover of thick darkness, Christ was not heard. 
that if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The father turned his back upon the son. And as a consequence of that, God hears our prayers. Does God hear our prayers because we're so holy? Does God hear our prayers because we're so prayerful? You know how much sin is still mingled in with our prayers? God hears our prayers for the sake of His well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Christ has merited our hearing of the Lord. That God hears us because of the merit of Jesus Christ for us. What a wonder. When you're going through it, beloved, and you feel like your whole world is tossed up and down, and you feel like you're abandoned, I'm going to address that in a moment, but you feel like you're abandoned, God never forsakes us. God never abandons His people. Do not judge truth by feelings. Do we have feelings? We do. But they are to be in the proper order. We are to be a thinking people. The mind, with the mind engaging the will. The mind and the will then engaging the emotions. We feel like God has abandoned us. God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. My feelings betray me. Have you experienced that? I have numerous times. And it's foolish to let the feelings lead the charge. Because they will always lead you in the wrong way. We are to be led by the truth of God's word. Jonah felt like he was forsaken, abandoned by God. But the reality is God never abandoned Jonah. Jonah abandoned the Lord. But God never abandoned Jonah. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Notice what affliction and how we can be rash in our words. Notice what feelings can do. I'm banished from God. God can't see me now in the predicament that I'm in. I have been cast out of your sight. And yet, yet now he's thinking again. Yet where can I go? To whom shall I turn? Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples? Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. John 6. And many turned and walked with him no more. And Jesus turned and looked to his disciples and said, Do you also want to go away? And Peter said, Where are we going to go, Lord? You, it's emphatic, you and you alone have the words of eternal life. And we have come to know and believe that you are the Christ of God. It says, Jonah, where is he going to go? There's no other place to go but to the true and living God. And so he cries out to the Lord. He thinks, he feels, but then in reality, I will look again towards your holy temple. He's coming into the throne room. He's coming in prayer to the Lord. It's the only place he can go. The waters have surrounded me. You know, it's being cast into the hands of the Lord. You know, David went through this with Gad. David sinned in numbering the armies of Israel. Gad came to him and said, The Lord said, choose three, one of three things. Seven years of famine, 
three months being chased by the hands of your enemies or the three days of pestilence. David said, let me fall into the hands of the Lord. Man is wickedly cruel, but with the Lord there is mercy. That's seen in our prayer life, isn't it? Come to the merciful God. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. What does that mean? He's talking about his breath. This is where I'm saying that he's tossing and turning in the belly of the fish, in the midst of gastric juices and water and all the seaweed and everything else. And he's being slammed to and fro in the belly of the great fish. And it's coming up to his nose where he can't breathe. You ever had your head underwater for just a few minutes? You ever had somebody put your head underwater and you're fighting and you're struggling and you can't breathe? That's what Jonah's experiencing here. You know, beloved, let's learn from this. You can't outrun the Lord. You can't hide from the Lord. If you're a child of God and He's called you to do a particular work, fulfill that calling, fulfill that work. Pray the Lord gives you strength, gives you resilience, gives you confidence and comfort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do what He has called you to do. Don't run. It's, it's, it's not profitable. God will bring you to repentance. He will discipline you. The profit in this sense is that you are brought to repentance. But it's painful, beloved. It is painful. It's a hard thing to go through. You know, all this could have been avoided, right? Even on the ship. Lord, I have sinned. Forgive me. And then the, the whole sea would have become calm. Take me down to Nineveh. The Lord's calling me to that work. But no, we, we stand and we stand in, in defiance, don't we? Your kids do the same thing. Your kids come and they ask you for something and you say no. And they stand there looking at you. What are you looking for? What are you waiting for? Waiting for you to change your mind. It ain't going to happen. We stomp our feet. We get angry. The deep closed in around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. He's not in a good place. And he says, I went down to the moorings, the foundations of the mountain. That has reference to that great fish took him deep down into the ocean. Took him deep into the sea. How would you know that? Would you think there was maybe some popping in the ears? He was going to depths where you can feel the pressure. You know, you can only go so far, right? And that fish was taking him there. You are going to repent. talking with the elders this morning isn't it amazing that the Lord doesn't often grab us by the collar he nudges us do you see how many things that Jonah went through that the Lord was bringing him to repentance but how many particular things and do you realize there is an escalation of them with each thing, it gets a little more difficult, a little harder. What's the principle? Keep on in your rebellion. Keep on in your defiance to the Lord. Keep on in, in your rebellion against His Word. And each time, it will become more severe because the Lord will bring you to repentance. And when you're broken and you're on your face, crying out to God, you remember all the times that the Lord led you to that point in a gentle way and you were defiant and would not repent. 
the earth with his bars, Jonah's, even if I could get out, where could I go? I'm in the depths. I'm surrounded by the mountains. There's no place for me to go. Yet, yet, the Lord, you brought me up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. Jonah isn't even rescued at this point. He's still in the belly of the fish. Notice the lesson that Jonah has learned. Notice the mind change, the confession that is going on. Lord, I'm guilty. I've done it. And you did because of my rebellion against you. And I recognize that. And I was wrong. And I know I'm going to Nineveh. And I know you're going to deliver me. Because that was God's will for Jonah. Jonah had confidence in God. Notice that this demonstrates Jonah as a child of God. Discipline and repentance. The writer of the Hebrews speaks about repentance. Discipline of the Lord that teaches. That's a good thing. So always accompanied with righteousness. Jonah learned the lesson and he praised the Lord for his deliverance. You know, he's really thanking God for the discipline. I have rebellion in my heart. And so do you. And we ought to pray. Lord, squeeze that out of me. Are you discontent? I have discontent. There are things I'm discontent with. Lord, forgive me. Of my discontent, make me content. Do you struggle in your life of prayer? Now, if you're honest, if you're being real, you will say, yeah. And why you say yes is because your mind is too much conformed to culture rather than to scripture. Because you think that if you're not in prayer for two or three hours a day, then I am struggling in my prayer life. Scripture nowhere says that. It would be better, beloved, to be in prayer in small amounts of time all throughout the day than not do it at all. You see, we we realize that being those that are praying always, it means that we are in constant communion with the Lord. In all situations, you go into a mode of prayer. You see things, you hear things, and immediately you pray out to the Lord. You sit down and you eat your meal and you pray to the Lord. You see something that the Lord has done and you give thanks to the Lord. That's what we do. That's praying without ceasing. But don't let it be a cultural thing that I don't do what they do and so I must be struggling. No, if you're not praying at all, you're struggling. You're struggling in your prayer life. You're angry with the Lord because of something in your life and you're not praying. You're struggling in prayer. The Christian struggles. Don't be duped by these morons on TV. You struggle. We struggle. I struggle. Christians struggle. The Christian life is a struggle. We are running the race. We are fighting the good fight of faith. We are struggling against an enemy who wants to overthrow our souls. The world, the flesh, and the devil. I've got it within, I've got it without, and it's a constant. 
But the Lord gives more grace. He gives the strength. The Lord will strengthen me. The Lord will gird me up. The Lord will keep me. Beloved, turn to the Lord when you struggle. Come to Him in honest prayer. Don't run from what He's called you to. You are a believer. He's called you as prophet, priest, and king. Husbands, you have a calling and a responsibility to wash your wife with the water of the word and to train up your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Not an option. That's the calling upon your life. Wives, you have a responsibility to respect your husbands. Children, you have a responsibility to obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. The church has a responsibility to worship. We have a responsibility to pray. We have a responsibility to evangelize. We have a responsibility to partake of the Lord's Supper and the waters of baptism. We have a responsibility to fellowship. The church has responsibilities. And if we go on neglecting the responsibilities the Lord has placed upon our life, no wonder we have a constant, consistent discipline from the hand of the Lord. That is walking in rebellion. It is no different in principle from what's going on in the life of Jonah. Beloved, set it aside. Confess it to the Lord. Turn from it. Pray that He gives you the strength. Changing your mind and the mindset. It will change the direction of your life. This is what we find with our Savior. Not my will. If there's any other way, but nevertheless, not my will. but yours be done. Isn't that hard in the Christian life? Not to me, O Lord, not unto me, but to you may glory be given. Let that be the prayer of the saints. Amen. Shall we pray?